Today's reading is from Mark uh, 3, it's verses 31 through 35. And it says, And his mothers and his brothers came, and standing outside they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my he is my brother and sister and mother. This uh, week is a continuation from actually last week. We looked at this passage last week, and and what I want to do this week, I mean, to give you a, a, a brief view. Well, I'll give you, I'll give you a, a really brief overview of last week's message, um, and then I want to uh, ask, I'm going to um, try to apply today's message in multiple different ways to the different, you know, different demographics of our church, right? Now, for, for those of you who are single, for those of you who are married with babies, for those of you who are teenagers, and what does it mean of how we think about, about family? Um, their family is one of the most beautiful gifts of God, but family also has problems. Family is the way that uh, is, is, is often an idolatry. We tend to think about family as more important than God. And often, um, fa- families are the place where we get our idolatries. Uh, what, what our family values, uh, what our family loves, we, what, you know, that's probably what you love. Somewhere along the line, uh, maybe you're into sports and you deeply love sports because your dad loves sports. Or maybe you're so into music because your mom loved music. Um, and, but it competes. It can compete with our heart's affections and our heart's priorities for God. And, um, and then we want to build our lives upon our idolatries. And today what I wanted to do is what does it mean that God's will will be over who we are as individuals and how we look at family. And maybe we could look at family, not so much critically in the sense that they were bad, but through the lens of Scripture, through the lens of God's will. So part one, family and idolatry. That's part one. Family and idolatry. Part two, living under the liberating wisdom and heart of God. Living under the liberating wisdom and heart of God. And part three, I want to close by talking about the deepest security of being a child of God. Um, You know, we want to look to our families as the deepest security in the world, but that's not true. It's not where we have our deepest security. Our deepest security is really being in the family of God, being God's child, having a father who has loved us and redeemed us through his son. So part one, um, family and idolatry. Uh, I mean, I won't try to recap all of what I, I talked about last week, but l- let me just try to put it to you this way. Um, you know, the world, ever since the history of the world, you know, what, what the, in most cultures, you know, what, the, what they want to tell you is the most important thing? It's your family. They want to tell you your family is the most important thing. It doesn't seem unreasonable, does it? Apart from your family, what are you? And last week I talked about this question of belonging. Well, we want to say you belong to your family. This passage, you know what Jesus is saying? You know what you most belong to? You have to belong to God's family. You have to belong to God first. 
It's a tremendously offensive and controversial thing. Maybe not as much in America because, you know, we're such powerful individualists in America, but around the world, if you want to say that someone else, something else has greater, that you have a greater allegiance to that than your family, are you kidding? I mean, that is just everything that your family, your family will react. But um, here, this is one of these, these crazy places where everybody thinks that Jesus is so nice, but this is where, you know, uh, this is a series, uh, our series title, The Incomparable Jesus, The Wild and Strange Jesus, so The Very Disruptive Jesus. Here, incredibly offensive Jesus. <laughs> Here in a society where family is everything, he's like saying, no, not really. <laughs> Actually, you know, I mean, what he's doing would be considered unbelievably rude in his time. Your, your family's out there waiting for you. It's like saying, oh, well, actually, and then, he, and then he actually deliberately says, well, actually, these people out here, supposedly strangers who follow the will of God, they're actually my brother and my sisters and my mother. They're my family. Are you kidding? And what is Jesus pointing out here? Jesus is pointing out here in, one, in, in multiple levels that your family cannot be the be-all, end-all of your life. There's something greater and bigger God and his heart and his will for you and what he longs for you, that has to be bigger. Now, that's one area that family is as good as that is and as grateful as we should be and as much as we need to be, um, as much as we need to pour into our families, it can't be the biggest thing. That's one point. But the second point, in America, let me, let me put it to you this way. We have a lot of pain with our, our family. Um, not everybody wants to celebrate family. What I, what I notice in America is either family is too big, it's either everything, or it's either nothing. <laughs> um, there's a lot of broken families in America, and uh, you know, probably you, me, there's a lot of people probably right here in this room, you have issues with your mom, or you have issues with your dad, or maybe your parents broke up, and they stopped being a haven in a heartless world for you. Your family is not the people that you turn to as you wander throughout life and you feel alone and hardships are hitting you. And so, so that's one pathway we tend to go to. Well, family is everything. Well, family is nothing. <laughs> and then so it's just going to be me. I'm just going to depend on myself. Well, that, that's, that's not the right way either. So those are the two twin ways that the idolatries tend to play out. Either family is everything or I'm everything. <laughs> It's all going to just be about what I want, right? And so these are, I mean, you know, you just pick the people in America. It's either you watch the movies, it's all either love and family, or it's just going to be all about me and my, my, my career and my achievements. Those are the two things that we're all fixated on in America. And here in this passage, Jesus is saying, actually, no, there's something. What I want to offer you is there's a third path possibility. There's a third possibility, which is that you can end up in a deeper community under God, and there's a wisdom of God. There's a will of God. Now, you know, we goes, be under the will of God. Obey the will of God. And, you know, we, whenever any of us hear this, we're such, you know, we really want our way. <laughs> but the will of God, to be under the will of God, when God wills something for you, he wills it with all of his heart and all of his understanding of you. And all of, he knows your brokenness. He knows your strengths. He made them. He knows what makes you special and beautiful and wonderful. He made you that way. And so if he has a will for you, isn't it good? Isn't it good? And so 
you know, what not family is everything, not you are everything, but what Jesus is here in this passage is doing, he's inviting you to be under the will of God, to be under, to be under a different kind of family heart. And that is God's family. Now, what I want to do in the rest of this, that's, this is part one. I mean, this is like the shortest part one you guys ever hear from me, right? <laughs> All right? Um, what I want to do is I want to spend the bulk of my time in part two. And what I want to do is say, you know, I want us to say, for some of us, family itself is idolatrous. But for a lot of us, maybe your family isn't, you know, what you worship or you think this is the most important thing in your life, but maybe um, something from your family. There's an idolatry that you gained from your family. That's, that's usually where we get our idolatries. Right? We, we learn our idolatries. We usually learn them from family. Um, maybe that's something that we, we need to wrestle with. Um, and you know what I want to do is it's not for you to go run off on your own and say, I've got to like make my life my life. You know what, you know what? Je- Jesus has never intended the, the redeemed life is not a Lone Ranger life. The redeemed life is a family life. And what I want to offer you is some wisdom of God so to take it back to your family, so your family can be more under the family of God. Does that make sense? The the redeeming, the lostness, and the way that we break ourselves and our families through idolatry and our foolishness, let's let's put some of the wisdom and the will of God back into um, the way we do family and the way we think about family. And um, that's what I want to call living under the liberating wisdom and heart of God, okay? So let's, let's start. And I want to do this. because Obviously, this is, there's no way you could say everything. What I wanted to say is certain things to certain different age groups and different stages of your life um, that I see are different ways that we are doing folly and foolishness and idolatry in our times. And... Um, so I want to start first with teenagers, all right? Let's start. There's a, lot of te- there's a good number of teenagers in this room. And uh, you're probably at that place where um, you, you want your own space, right? You know, <laughs> rebellious teenagers. You don't want to listen to mom and dad. And, uh, you know, you want to be on the phone all the time, okay? And you want to be on social media all the time. And you want to waste your time on YouTube or whatever it is. You want your own space. Your, your friends are the coolest. And, and it's understandable, right? You're, you're not a, a, a child. And, but neither are you fully an adult. But you're trying to figure out who you are. Um, and so do you either just completely, or, you know, you just have to be completely conformed to what mom and dad wants? <laughs> Or do you just say no? So, I mean, at, at your age, this thing where family is either too much or it's all just me, this, you're exactly at the age where you're, you're, you're wrestling with this exact problem of, of either family or idolatry too much or idolatry of me because, like, you know, we, re, we rebel against the family idolatry. Now, how can you go back to being, um, having peace inside your family in God's way? Well, you got to, the, 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 the wisdom I want to offer you is you have to know what is the will of God. Hmm. See, look, there's what your mom and dad want, and then there's what you want, which is probably what all the other cool kids want, right? So there's what your mom and dad wants, and you, you probably more or less know what they want. And then there's what, all, what you want and all the cool kids want. But you know what? You need a third, you need a third, um, you need a third voice in there. You know what that third voice is? God's voice. How will you know what God's will is, teenagers? 
You have to, all right, these are super basic, but tremendously important piece of application of wisdom. You have to read the Bible. <laughs> Do you read internet? Do you watch YouTube? You read uh, your, your favorite, you know, adventure novels or whatever it is. You watch a lot of TV. There's a lot of stories. Do you hear all the, the messages from school? But have you heard the wisdom from God? So you can't even sift your parents. Like, you want to rebel against your parents, but maybe your parents are wiser than you. Maybe your parents are wrong. Maybe the things that your parents want to impose upon you is their idolatry, and you can feel it. But how do you know? How do you know that difference? You can't know that difference unless you have that third voice. And that third voice looms large in your mind. And guess where that voice comes from? It comes from right here. It comes from the Bible. So let me give you a really um, strong piece of wisdom here. Before you've graduated high school and gone off to college, at the very least, you should have read the whole New Testament. <laughs> Probably at least two or three times. At the very least. That's like minimum. <laughs> you should have at least read the whole New Testament, and even better, of course, read the whole Bible. All right? But I, I know most people kind of don't make it through Leviticus. All right? <laughs> you don't make it through Leviticus or like... You know, all these minor prophets, like, what the heck is going on with this? Hosea, Malachi, I mean, it all kind of like, you know, mashes into your mind or whatever. But uh, at the very least, you know, you should have read at least the whole New Testament and certainly key chunks of the Old Testament and taken it seriously and wrestled with it. There's a lot there. And what's there may surprise you. It may surprise you. And when you go off to college, and I mean, it, it's not just for your family's sake. Um, you're, you're, there's lots of peer pressure in your life, tremendous peer pressure in your life. And a lot of the voices from your friends, your peers, and, and then even from your professors when you go off to college, they're wrong. <laughs> and um, the things they're telling you are not only dumb, but sometimes they're evil. <laughs> and how will you sift that out and learn to go back and, and bless your family and then bless who you are? So that's the first thing I would say. I know that sounds kind of strange, a piece of, uh, of, of, of application, but you have to know what is the word of man. And your parents, they're still human beings. They may be good human beings, they may be wise human beings, but they're just humans. You have to know what is the word of God, the will of God. So that's the first one for teenagers. Let's, let me shift to a little bit, you know, let me a little bit older teens or, or college students. Um, the one I want to um, say to you and so I've been reading this book, um, The Coddling of the American Mind, right? The Coddling of the American Mind, it just came out this past year. It's written by Greg Lukianoff and Jonathan Haidt. Um, I found out about this book because I know who this guy Jonathan Haidt is. Um, he's a professor, he used to be a, he's a professor of social psychology. For a long time he was at um, UVA, but today he's at NYU. And um, these guys co-wrote this book. The, 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 the book is subtitled, how good intentions and bad ideas are setting up a generation for failure. How about that? How good intentions and bad ideas are setting up a generation for failure. What they're seeing is that as you go off to, I mean, especially the, the professor Jonathan Haidt, and then this guy Greg Lukianoff, what he's, he's saying, what the, the controversies he's seeing flowing out of colleges is, um, a, a series of really bad ideas, and it often f flowed out of bad parenting. Hmm. Good intentions from mom and dad. See this? How it goes back to the family. Good intentions from mom and dad, 
But now a lot of you, you know, a lot of you older teenagers and then especially college students, you've, you, know, you, you think, I know how the world works, but you, well, you, you've only been conditioned by the intentions of mom and dad. But what if they had some foolish ways of approaching the way they parented you? And um, now that you're in college and you're, you're demanding that there has to be a certain safe space from certain ideas. That professors can't say certain kinds of things because that will harm you. Um, the, the wisdom point I want to give to you today is that you are not fragile. You are not fragile. God didn't make you to break easily. Um, there's something that's been going on, and it's not just your mom and dad. It's, it's, it's in our whole culture. And, um, and I, I, I wrestle, I wonder, you know, did I, did I parent my kids this way too? <laughs> did Grace and I kind of like, you know, uh, were, did we do uh, poorly on this too? Because, you know, the culture isn't just out there. I mean, it, it's in us. And just because we're Christians and supposedly supposed to know our Bible doesn't mean we're not immune from these things. But do we have this attitude that, oh, you know, my little Hudson, <laughs> Or, you know, like my special Laura or Elizabeth, that if I didn't do something right or said something in a mean way to them, that somehow they're going to be like their self-esteem and they're going to be emotionally damaged and broken for the rest of their life. Do a lot of you parents have this, have this fear? I bet you you do. Um, I have this fear. And, um, and yet, that isn't what the Bible teaches. Well, one of the points I want to, I want to, I want to say about this is it's related to suffering and failing. Um, the way a lot of parenting is happening today is we want to protect. You know, that, that's the big thing. You know, um, you know when I was a kid, I, I never wore a helmet when I wore my bike. <laughs> and I flipped off my bike and landed on my face a couple times, all right? And, and it probably would have been good to be wearing a helmet that day. But you know, um, it, it was probably, I would, I even wonder, you gotta tell your kid, put on a helmet, put on a helmet, put on a helmet, like it's the most important thing in the world. The chances your child is gonna get brain damaged by falling off your bike, you know how, 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 how great that those chances are? It's slim to none. It's slim to none. And yet, what is the message that we give to our children that you have to be protected, protected, protected all the time? You're telling them that they're fragile. Young people, college students, you are not fragile. Um, I think we're a whole generation of helicopter moms, <laughs> helicopter dads. Um, what, the way I see that it's played out with young people today, especially with college students and, and, some, and millennials too, is that if God allows suffering into your life, if something bad happens in your life, you know, you just thought, if I did everything right, if I studied and I did, you know, and then I got to do the good college and I worked hard, that, that, that a good job was supposed to just work out for me. <laughs> I was supposed to meet the love of my life or, or, and like, I wasn't supposed to lose a friend or get this disease or feel depressed or feel hurt, right? Um, but this is life. <laughs> life is broken and fallen and it can be painful. And you know what? This is really interesting. God doesn't keep us from it. God doesn't keep us from suffering. This is how you can really know that God is not, he's not a helicopter dad. <laughs> he's not. In God's wisdom, he allows us to go through suffering. That the real love from God is that, not that he won't let you ever fall down, 
you know, or hurt or something gets broken, is that when it happens, he'll be there. That's the way God does it. When you break, when you fall, he'll be there. And yet, something has gone on in our time that we're like fragile. Like, if something has happened, then the, and the God, how could God be a good God? Maybe we're conditioned by some bad parenting. That, you know, so many parents today, there, there's a piece of, there's, a, there's a, a wise piece of advice in this book. It says, don't um, prepare the road for your child. Prepare your child for the road. You hear what they're saying? Do not prepare the road for your child. Like, you're going to set your child up because, like, the road has to just run out perfectly so your child is just going to just leap from success to success to success. If your parents did that for you, you know, you should tell them to stop. <laughs> but if they did that for you, they, they were well-intentioned. Of course, they love you, but you can't expect that life is going to work out that way. What they really should do is prepare you that the road is going to break and there's going to be potholes and it's like, whoa, what happened here? And then there's going to be crazy, crazy twists and there's going to be hurt. But what's important is, I hope your mom and dad will be there with you and for you when it does happen. I'm sure for many of you they will. And if they won't, guess what? The Father in heaven will be there for you. You aren't fragile. And you know, this, our God is a God of the cross. He's not a God that just says, you know, I'm just a big teddy bear in the sky. I'm Santa Claus. You ask for it, I'll give it to you, and everything's going to be great. That isn't the way the Bible presents reality. Actually, and you know, sometimes we would like that. Wouldn't it be nice if God was just a big, fat Santa Claus? <laughs> but then we would just become spoiled and entitled and rotten people. But actually, God wants more than that. I'm going to give you a better love. I'm going to help you become courageous. I'm going, to, I'm going to give you a deeper well of strength when you're hurting. When you walk into a place, when you feel like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to make it there, I'll be there for you. I'll be your strength. I'll be your forgiveness. I'll be your power. That's the kind of God you have. And if that's the kind of God you have, you're not only not fragile, you have the most powerful strength in the world. Can you go to that will of God? College students, can you go to that will of God? That will give you real and incredible power in life. Even if the economy is bad <laughs> at the end of college, even if your industry is like wiped out, you know, seven years later, you will have incredible power for life. Um, let's, uh, let's ramp up to the next stage. Um, singles, young adult singles. Um, Here's what I want to say to you young adult singles. Um, are, you are you lonely? You want to have a, a, a girlfriend or a boyfriend? You know what? You can admit it. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with you. You're perfectly fine. God made you this way. Before there was any sin in the world, he said, you know what he said? It is not good for Adam to be alone. You know, it's an interesting play on words. Adam means the man. It is not good for the man to be alone. It is not good for the woman to be alone. It is not good for, put your name in there. Adam is his name. It's not good for you to be alone. So one of the things I want to say to you is um, your career will not fulfill you. <laughs> okay, your career is not going to hug you 
<laughs> at night. <laughs> your career is not going to like, you know, you're going to get some award. Your college, you know, look, I got, you know, I, I got into a pretty good college, right? But, um, you know, when I'm feeling low, I don't go pull out that letter from the college that accepted me. <laughs> oh, Susan, you, you should come to our college. Let me, let me tell you something, these, these things, all right? Your achievements, um, the, however much money you make, your promotions, they're not going to be there for you. You know what you need when you get to that, this place? You need love, enduring love, a love that will be there with you. Till death do us part. You ever heard those language? <laughs> for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer. And so some of you probably if you probably, very, very few of you, like maybe one of you, in, in a room this size, maybe one of you don't need to get married. You should be glad to seek marriage. And now, now I've, I've, you know, I've, I've done this. Um, let me just share with you what it's like having been a pastor for a number of years, um, having pastor millennials for many years. Uh, I'll, meet a young, uh, I'll meet a young man or a young woman, you know, like maybe they, they, they grew up in our church and then they went off somewhere and then they come back. And then, you know, I'm, I'm seeing this person. I haven't seen this person in like three or four years. So I just, you know, use my pastor card and go, hey, you dating somebody? <laughs> I just go right into that nosy space. But it's a loving nosy space. And uh, thankfully, most of them don't get too offended. And, um, and they, and then, and, you know, when they, especially as, as, as their years start going up, and I can see they're all hard charging. They're in graduate school. They're working really hard in their career. And one of the things I want to say to them is, um, you know, it's okay to, to want a spouse. It's okay to want a spouse. It's not a weakness. Our culture tells you, you only need yourself. That is not what the Bible says. That is not God's wisdom. God says, and you know, sometimes the Bible says, oh, you only need Jesus. Well, in one level, that's true. But then Jesus goes, no, actually, you need, you need family. And the way you start a new family is to get married. So that's one thing I want to give you, free, free you up. And I want to urge you, look for a spouse. You know what I think you should be looking for a spouse? Probably like age 20. Well, I'm, I'll, be, I'll, I'll be a junior in college. Yeah, that's a good place to be looking for a spouse. <laughs> oh, I'm too young, Pastor. I'm only 24. Um, no, this is about when you should be looking for a spouse. <laughs> really? <laughs> I'm serious. And by the way, if you're still single and you're 34, 44, it's okay. It's not too late. It's never too late. Now, let me say one more thing before uh, we shift gears here. Um, don't look for your soulmate. <laughs> Whatever you think your soulmate is, maybe your mom and dad told you what the perfect husband is supposed to be like, or you think you know what the perfect wife is supposed to be like. It's probably really, really selfish. <laughs> You know what kind of husband or wife the Bible wants for you? Someone who is going to help you become holy. Repent. You know what marriage is? <laughs> marriage is someone is going to be there with you throughout all of life. But you know what one of their, their biggest jobs to do for you? <laughs> is to tell you, hmm, you know, you're really selfish. <laughs> you don't forgive. You don't say you're sorry. <laughs> And you should say you're sorry because you're, you're always thinking about yourself. You know what? As soon as you get married, that's what your spouse is going to say. 
Some of you date somebody, and then your girlfriend says that to you. And then you know what? Because your girlfriend says that to you, you break up with her. Guess what? <laughs> you shouldn't break up with her for her saying that to you. You what you should do is you should listen. Because you know what dating is? Well, it's theoretically, it's what should, I mean, if all you're doing is just you're lonely and you're emotionally playing with this person and you like that feeling of romance or like you're going to bed with that person, that's, you're using that person. But if the relationship is getting deeper, you know what you're starting to do? You're starting to, you're starting to move into what it's like to possibly be husband and wife. You know what husbands and wives, they say to you? You should change in this way. You should change in this way. You need to change in this way. You know what they're telling you to do? Grow. Grow in holiness. It's not wrong. Now, if all they do is criticize you and they never encourage you and they, and they never praise you and they never affirm you, obviously that's not good. Okay? But that's part of their job too because marriage, guess what? Is a lifelong school of sanctification. The vehicle by which you will change and become the deeper person that God wants you to be is through the family unit called marriage. You should be looking for that while you're single. You should be preparing for that while you're single. So what kind of a husband or a a wife should you look for? The one that wants God's will for you. That will put God's will over our family. If one of these days, I hope we'll be married, God's will will be over me, over you, over us. God's will be over our family. And then together, we'll be part of the family of God. That's what will make our marriage sing. Right? Somebody who wants your holiness. Okay, let's get to parents. (laughs) Okay, I can't wait to get to this one, right? Um, I've already given some parenting advice because, you know, as, I, as I've spoken to young people. Um, but I want to talk to parents, especially of babies and of the really little ones. Right? Now, um, I'm, I'm, okay, if, if you think I'm singling anybody out, I'm not. <laughs> I am not singling anybody else. I've been a pastor for a long time. I've seen this pattern, okay? It's a pattern I've seen, and, it's, and I've read about this. Apparently, it's, it's, it's a pattern all around the country. Um, what the, the, the piece of wisdom I want to give to you is please do not make your baby or your little one the center of your life. Please do not make your baby, your little one, and their demands, and they do make demands. <laughs> okay, your, your, your cute little, little, you know, darling little daughter or son, they make demands. And yes, they are selfish. <laughs> and guess what? They always expect you to serve them. <laughs> you need to lead them. And you know what needs to be at the center of your family life? Jesus. (laughs) His will. So so let me offer you um, certain points. Um, Don't neglect your marriage. This is is really common, especially in a city like ours. Uh, Ours is a very stressful city. It's a very expensive city. Very typically, both um, husband and wife work. You kind of, you know, you just need to, just just to... Used to be, you need husband and wife work to pay the, the mortgage. Now you need husband and wife work just to make make rent. It's crazy. That's the way it is. All right. Um, so you both work, and now you are sleep deprived, <laughs> and now just to go someplace, it's like a twenty minute project. And then when you get there, you know you're not going to have a lot of fun because your baby's going to fuss, and so, and then you're going to go home anyway. All right. That's 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 what it's like. But you know what tends to happen is, well, I got to go to work. And our baby's so precious, we gotta do everything for our baby. What tends to get neglected? Your spouse gets neglected. 
their marriage gets in that grip. And they're like, well, we'll just do this for a while. You know where a while ends up being? For like eight years. Because <laughs> first you go into like, it's all about the baby. And then two years later, you have another baby. Then it's all about that baby. <laughs> oh, then, oh, wait a second. Now the first baby is like a three or four year old, but the second baby is crying and like keeping you up at night. What are you going to do? Are you, gonna, are you going to ignore your wife <laughs> or ignore your husband and not go on dates? For five years? No, please do not do that. Your marriage, this sounds really crazy, your marriage is a lot more important than your, than your child's feeding time or nap time. Whatever your child's nap time is, it's going to change next month. And it's going to change, whatever your child wants is going to change three months from that. But if you've been ignoring your husband for six months, you are not doing your child a favor. You're not doing your child a favor. So, you know, in America, you, you, you got to get the baby out of bed because, you know, they just got to get their own little bed because we, we got to make them rugged individualists. Now, let me, okay, okay, that's, that's not why your baby needs to get out of the bed. You know why your baby needs to get out of bed? Because, well, honestly, because you should have a sex life. Because that's the way God likes it. God likes you to practice intimacy and be close to each other. You should have times when it's just you and your spouse and you laugh and you cry and you understand each other. You are not a bad parent for going on dates. <laughs> and uh, when your marriage is strong, your child will be strong. When your marriage is strong under Jesus, your child will be all the more strong. And so um, parents of young babies, please... Uh, don't neglect fellowship. Don't neglect your marriage. You'll, you're really doing your child a favor. I know your child is like probably making going to make you really miserable for the next week or two as you when you shift away from your nap schedule. I, okay, don't worry. I've been there. Grace and I have been there. We, we, we know what this is like. But um, in the long haul, your child knows whether they run the house or whether you lead them under Jesus. And when you lead them, they're secure. And when they're running the show, they're afraid. Okay, parents of um, young children and um, early adolescents, what is the thing I want to say to you? Um, parents of, watch your idolatries. What do I mean by that? Well, we just value music in our family. <laughs> um, you know, uh, we had a speaker um, last year in our retreats, at our retreat, his name is Stephen Rowe, and he talked about our, you know, our family's values. He goes, he goes, oh, values, the families of I call them idolatries. <laughs> our family's values? Oh, you mean are your family's idolatries? That's what he calls it. I was like, whoa, I was, I was like, that's kind of mean. <laughs> I'm kind of mean, but I thought that was mean. <laughs> and I sat there thinking like, hmm, you know, did I make Hudson play too much baseball, all right? <laughs> Um, what, whatever you think that your, your kid just has to have, whatever you think your, your family just has to have, guess what? You're sending a signal to your kid what's really, really important in your life. It's really important in your life. Um, you know, the typical things, uh, a lot of Asians in the room, got to get good grades. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you one that I've watched for years and years and years, right? And, uh, 
youth pastors I've talked to, they, they've talked to us once. So they have like a Bible study for the youth on Wednesday night. Or they have a youth event on Friday night. And then as soon as the kid turns to their sophomore or junior year, they're not there. You know why? Because, well, you know, the SAT is so darn important, is it not? Is it not? And so mom and dad goes, well, you know, you don't have to go to church because, you know, you just have to rock the SATs. Because you know what you're telling your child? That score is more important than knowing God. You know what you're telling your child? Performance and achievement is what's important than being under the will of God. That who take, accepts you into college and what job they get, that's more important than being with the family of God. Those are some of the, the messages that you're, you know, of course you don't actually say that. You don't actually say that to your child, but you just show it. Show it. We show it with our priorities, what we fight them for, right? I mean, if your child wants to go to church and, and then you fight them over, over, over music, they're like, you never fight about church. You never fight me over, you know, seeking, you know, reading the Bible. But, but uh, you know, you fight me over that. So, I'll, you know, I get it. I, as a dad, I want to give my kids everything. You know, we had we had them in jujitsu. <laughs> Minimum forty-five. You you must practice forty-five minutes of piano, and piano was expensive. Right? I kept sitting there going like, Jazz, if I just get rid of piano, I can buy a nicer car. <laughs> I was sitting there going like, man, I want that convertible. <laughs> but piano, dang it, and uh, and then you know my son. It turns out he was actually pretty good at baseball. And so they asked him, be on the travel team. You know what the travel team meant? You know what the travel team meant? Saturdays and Sundays, you travel somewhere else so that your talented son in baseball can play with all the other talented sons in baseball. Because that's how they're going to make it to the major leagues. <laughs> or at least make it to the high school varsity team. I don't know, these, these, these are our dreams. The moms and dads... You can't give your child everything. Choose. You gotta choose. You gotta say no. To this, no. Don't give your child perfect. Don't give your child everything. Because you can't. And if you give your, you try to give your child everything, guess what? Now you're under your wisdom. Not under God's wisdom. And you're probably not gonna bless them. Hmm? Be under God's wisdom. Say no to certain things. It won't be easy. It wasn't easy for me and Grace. Um, I'm not sure if we even still did it right. <laughs> right? But, um, all right. Uh, I want to give one more piece of uh, wisdom to parents, and then let's close our message. Um, I want to give the gospel to everybody in a certain way. Parents, especially, so this is uh, parents and then children for everybody. Um, you're going to grow older. And I, I'm in this space now, too. My, my dad's about to turn 80 years old. <laughs> and so it's, it's strange, right? Like, he's old, and like I have to kind of parent him at times. This is the piece of um, wisdom I want to give you. Um, of your, uh, uh, when you're a parent and your child gets older and older, this is really important to practice. Practice repentance. 
Ask your child for forgiveness. Oh, you surely sinned against your child. Oh, you did. And all these other things that we talked about, you failed them. Probably multiple times. Ask your son or daughter for forgiveness. Model repentance. Show. Don't just say. Show your children. Put in your family. We desperately need Jesus. We desperately need his forgiveness, his mercy. I'm so glad the Father, he still loved us even though we made a lot of mistakes. I failed you in a lot of ways. Ask for repentance and forgiveness. Model that. And then, you know, when you become, an, you become older, you know, when you, you know, some of you teenagers, this back to you, you should forgive your parents. <laughs> Maybe you have resentment against mom and dad or against your brother or your sister. Put forgiveness and grace back into your family. It's at the core of what it means to have that gospel. Put forgiveness and grace. Grace is like the, the greatest balm there is. You want your family to be healed and whole? Forgiveness, grace, repentance, a lot of Jesus. I want to close by talking about the deepest security you know, we go through the world. This is a really high-performance city. There's a lot of, um, a lot of uh, you know, there's a lot of Asians in this room. There's a lot of hard-charging people in this room. There's a lot of type A personalities in this room, right? We want the money. We want the success. We want the achievements. Um, I sent out an article this past week written by a, a young woman who actually went to Monta Vista High School. She's a Chinese-American. I don't think she's a, she's a Christian. And she talked about um, essentially what it's like. She, it was called This is Silicon Valley. And really what she pointed out was it's like it's performance all the time here. <laughs> um, I shared this with a lot of my, um, you know, my, uh, my pastor and elder colleagues in other parts of the country. A lot of them are white. And they were like, whoa, you know, family is the place. What they need is church. One, one of my pastor friends, he said, what they need is church and family because it's church and family where, you know, where, where, where young people were, are told the opposite message. It's not all about performance. It's not all about performance. But then I actually said, well, actually, in a lot of Asian families, performance is their family is the first place where they get that message. <laughs> they don't need to go to school or their sports team, or to college, or Google, this woman worked for Google, before they're telling you, it's all performance, your worth and your value is all based on performance. Actually, they tell it to you, they get it from their mom and dad. Huh. I pointed that out to them. Now for a lot of you in this room, I want to ask you, I sure hope that hasn't been true in your family. Hmm. Maybe it has been true in your family. And there's a lot of maybe unintentional or subtle messages. You know, if your daughter isn't pretty enough. Or if she doesn't get to, if your son doesn't get to X school. Or if you just don't play violin at this level. You know, um, we, uh, there's, this, there's this profound place in the Bible where Adam and Eve, they fail. You know, they disobey God. And then, for the first time, they look at themselves. You know, all, all their life they've been naked, but they never knew they were naked. <laughs> you know what that, that means? Is that 
here's Adam before his wife, Eve, and before God. He's completely naked. That means she sees everything. He looks at her. She's, he sees everything. He completely knows her. She completely knows him. And he's completely unashamed and he's loved. Isn't that great? But now they failed. And then when they failed, you know what happened? Everything broke. They became, all of a sudden they knew I was naked. And then they didn't just hide from God, they hid from each other. You know what happened? Family broke. They failed, and then they were ashamed, and they felt, I was like, I'm nothing, and I'm naked. And then family broke. And then ever since then, all the families of the world, you know what we do? You know what we do? In order to cover our nakedness, you have to put on, what, what do they do? They put on a fig leaf. Because they were naked, they, they found this fig leaf and they covered it on. Except today, we have a little bit more sophisticated fig leaves. They're fig leaves of things like, you know, if you just get are really smart, then we'll love you. If you get straight A's and get into X college, then we'll love you. And so you know what our children do? Then they, 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 they work really hard out of fear. But then what happens if they don't make it, then the fig leaf falls off and they're naked and they're nothing. That's what's happening in our society. But you know what? We don't need just a fig leaf. The father looked at us and saw that we were all naked and they were all breaking our families. And he sent the son to said, will you cover them in something better? So the son came to be with us, to become one of us. He came to live the life we should have lived. He came to obey when we disobeyed. He came to embrace the Father's heart. And then he went to the cross, so all our nakedness and all our shame and all our failing and all the ways that we break family could be washed and forgiven by his blood. And then he could wrap us in his sonship, in his righteousness, in his worthiness, and take us into the family that will never, ever, ever break. This is the gospel. Brothers and sisters, will you be first and foremost a son and daughter of God and be not wrapped with a fig leaf and try to say, hey, if I give you this fig leaf, brother or sister or son and daughter, then you're okay. You won't be naked in nothing. Don't do family like that. Give them the righteousness, the worthiness, the wrapping, the sonship of Jesus. And they'll be strong. Live in that in your family. And I want to close with a word about, about church. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're launching this church. You know, we, we, we're in this city of, of all these um, performance-oriented people who are afraid that, like, my fig leaf is going to fall off. My fig leaf of performance is going to fall off, and I'm going to be nothing. It's just... This, this, I, when I read this, uh, this article, this is Silicon Valley, this uh, Chinese-American woman. I mean, she clearly went to a good college. <laughs> she's working for Google. I mean, she did everything, right? And yet she's saying, I'm at Google, and I feel all my depression that I used to have in high school starting to come back. You know, our, our, our city needs a church where we cover each other, not with fig leaves, but with the worthiness of Jesus. Hmm the grace 
the absolute love of the Father. People are going to need to walk in and not just find a religious building or a bunch of religious people. You know what they're going to need to find? They're going to need to find a family that says, you know, you could be one of us. We'll wrap you in the love of God. You don't have to perform here. You can be sad here. You can fail here. You can tell us how you screwed up here. It is my dream that that's the kind of church we'll be. You can be vulnerable in Revive. It can be safe at Revive. Why? Because we have the deepest security ever. God made us his children. That is a love, that is an adoption, that is a status, that is a worthiness that can never break. It's not a fig leaf that's going to fall off. (laughs) We're wrapped in Christ. And the Father will love you. And we'll be his family forever and ever. There's no bigger security than that. Can we be this kind of church and give that to each other? Let's pray. So many broken families. We have um, people in our city, Lord, who um, cut themselves and are thinking about killing themselves. It seems crazy because of all the things the world says that you're supposed to have, they have. And yet they're dying. The death doesn't come from outside the family, it's inside the family. Would you heal our fallen and broken families? All the foolish, sinful, idolatrous ways that we approach family, that we run away from family. Lord, you are not just the redeemer of, of me. You're a redeemer of all of us. Of, of, and you're a redeemer of the family itself. You're a redeemer of what it means to be brother and sister and mother and child. You're a redeemer of marriage. You're a redeemer of singleness. Give us deep faith in the gospel that because of Jesus, we can live in the utterly safe vulnerability of being in Christ. By your blood, you, you have covered us. You have healed us. You have forgiven us. You have washed us. We're never truly naked because we're wrapped in you, Lord Jesus. May we have that family. May we be with you and run to the Father's will. And we pray that anybody and everybody, there's so many hurting people in our city, when they come into this church, into this family, revive, they would say something is special here. Something is heavenly here. This is a deeper kind of community because they'll have tasted what it means, people who are deeply secure as sons and daughters of God. Thank you, Father, for loving us. Thank you for Jesus for clothing us. In your name we pray. Amen.